So we're starting a new series looking at the life of Joshua. I've been kind of like looking forward ahead a few steps, like what are the scriptures, what are the thoughts that are coming? And this particular week has just been like hitting me so close to home and feeling so relevant, and I feel like it'll be super relevant for us. And so, um, and so yeah, I'm just excited to be able to have this conversation together. Some people might think that the pastor's job is to be a teacher. So I'm supposed to get up here, I'm supposed to teach something, maybe make you laugh a little bit, give you some food for thought. But when you look at the Bible, Ephesians 4.12 says the job of a pastor, as well as teachers and evangelists and all these church leaders, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So actually, I'm trying to give you skills that you need to do what God's calling you to do. I'm trying to equip you. I'm not just trying to teach you. And there's a difference there. It's almost like the Sunday school thing that I talk about. There's a difference between going to school and there's a difference between on-job training. So God knows what each of you need in your jobs, in your relationships. I don't even know all the details. My job is to pray and say, okay, God, what should I say? And then in that beautiful divine way that he has, he's going to coincidentally give me things that are actually for you. And so I just need to be faithful to read the scriptures that he gives, explain them the best I can. But I'm not just teaching here. This is equipping. So please listen as we look at Joshua's life to why you are like Joshua, what you need to get from him, because I am so convinced this fall and winter that we need to look at this man. Just a guy, just like us, but he is one of the mightiest generals in the whole history of the people of God. It didn't start out that way. He didn't start out this way. And that's why the title is Becoming. Because the Joshua that we look back on was not how Joshua started. He did not begin as he ended up. And that is the most encouraging thing in the world because it means wherever you are right now, <clears throat> you might not yet have become what God is making you into. And we judge ourselves by our present state and we judge ourselves by our past experiences. That's not God's way of validating whether we're worthy of something greater or different. He's like, I know what you could become. I see your potential. That's a beautiful thing. A God who knows the future to say, I'm going to help you become something greater than yourself. When we look at the Bible, we see people like Moses. We're like, I can't be like Moses. I don't have a big beard. Some of us are on our way there. If we had the beard, maybe we could pull off Moses. Uh, maybe you think you can't be Moses because you couldn't part a Red Sea, but why not? He was a guy. Why couldn't you be these people that we look up to? Because you're looking at the end of their lives, what they became. They weren't that either until they became that. And so the big question is, how do we grow? Spiritual maturity, growth. How do we become the people that God wants us to be? And I think there's a role that we each have to play in that. So every single one of us here, I want to give you some ideas of what it looks like for you. But also, God's got a role to play in that. We can work really hard and try lots of things. And if God isn't helping to grow us, we're not going to become anything greater. So do you know what God's role is in your life? Are you like digging into him so that he's, he has a piece of your puzzle part of your story. And then the people around us too, they have a huge role to play. <coughs> bringing us down or lifting us up, helping us. When Patrice mentioned discipleship before. Who's alongside you helping you to become? So if we can ask those three questions, like what our role is, what God's role is, what the role is of the people around us, and look at Joshua's story, there are five places that I see in Joshua. One, his willingness to fight for what he believed in. We've got to have that. Second one, a mentor that he had. We've got to have that. A third one, he was zealous for the Lord. We have to have that. Fourth one, he caught a vision for what he could become even before he got there. 
Are we catching that vision? And the fifth one is he took responsibility. Ultimately, he's like, okay, now is the moment of truth. And he just took the step and he owned it. And he walked into it. So if we can see those places in our lives, this will equip us. This will teach us what it looks like to grow. And if we can ask those three questions, us, God, and others, I think we're going to walk away with really practical things that we could put into place. And it's not my ability to do this for us, but it's my responsibility to live this way for myself and to try to equip us in ways that you can take this and do something with it yourself. So I thought of a couple of everyday examples before we look at Joshua's very spiritual, godly examples. Let's make it real, right? Eli and I were talking about going to the gym and working out. So in that role, if you don't put in effort, you get no gains, right? But then Eli and I were talking, well, what role does personal training have? Or going on YouTube and watching all these people who have worked out and learned. If you didn't know what you were doing, you'd still probably do a bad job without that other piece. But what about God's role in that? If you don't have a body physically able to lift weights or get strong, then if God doesn't give you that, you can't use it. And me with my boot on for a month and Eli with stitches in his finger, if we don't have the health to be able to do it with things that God's in control of, the big picture, well then it doesn't matter how much we know or how hard we want it, right? You see there's these different, but if all that's in place, if God gifts you and calls you and makes you able, and if you invest and if you put people around you to help you grow beyond yourself, the gains you'll find in the gym will be awesome because that's how it works. How about in your relationships? We've all been in places in relationships where we feel like we're investing a lot and it's not working. It's not going anywhere. It's not, it's not succeeding. It's because it's not just our job. There's another person in that relationship who has to invest as well. But even if two people invest, there are things out of our control. We need God to be in that relationship to make it work and invest in us as well. How about in jobs? We can work really hard, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to advance. Are the people around you helping you to succeed? Are the people around you holding you back? Are the people around you afraid of their own job security, so they don't want you to succeed too well? They want you to stay as the new kid at the job or in the current position that you're at. How about witnessing? Last example. You want to talk to someone that you believe in God, you want to just share that, you love God, and you, you want to know, do they? And if not, like, what do they think? If we just go at it full bore, kind of like Patrice is saying, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be results there. There has to be a willing listener, someone who wants that for themselves as well. Otherwise, we can be as excited as we want, and it won't bear fruit. But even if someone says, oh, I really want that, and they're listening, unless God comes in and touches someone's heart, there's no faith, there's no salvation. It's got to be a God thing. We don't just choose God and say, okay, now I'm saved. We come before God and say, I'm ready. Change me. And so that's a submissive sort of posture that people have to be willing to accept. And it doesn't come just by us talking. It doesn't come just by listening. It's a spiritual transformation that happens in that moment. So with those things in mind for where we are, where, who we want to become, who God is calling us, I'd like to look at Joshua's life together. We're going to look a little bit in Exodus, a little bit in uh, is it the Numbers and a little bit in Deuteronomy. So if you're following along as I read some scriptures here, um, we're going to read these. And uh, yeah, we're doing good on time. I, I want to preach this like right to the point concisely so that we can have time at the end to break out into little groups and talk about this together and think about the things that God is saying to us. Because again, we're trying to be equipped here. And so it's not just a teaching. It's not just a talk. It's... Um, it's something I want us to personalize. We need to personalize this. A church that doesn't is just students 
we're not practitioners, so we need to be. So the first one we're going to read is in Exodus 17, verse 8. This is a moment in Joshua's life. So you realize we haven't even gotten to the book of Joshua, right? He's got a whole book dedicated to him, all his military conquests, how he led the people, how we followed God. He was a deeply spiritual man. He was a very wise man. He was a strategist, like crazy, maybe like no other in the history of Israel. And so he's always doing these things that are seemingly like, Tactics you wouldn't think of or wouldn't expect. And you realize, oh, God was leading him in those ways and led him to victory because of it. So that's why we're reading kind of the preview of Joshua. This is how he became Joshua. <laughs> Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 is the Joshua we know. But how did he get there? We see glimpses of it. There's a few of them we're going to read. So in Exodus chapter 17, here is one of the first times we hear of Joshua in the whole Bible. And what is he doing? So there's a battle. Israelites going to go to Israel is going to go to war. So this king Amalek, uh, Exodus 17 verse 8 says, came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. Now whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, and so they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, and so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Tell Joshua what really happened today. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And so Moses built an altar and he called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the first thing we see about Joshua is that he's willing to fight for his people. If we want to grow into the leaders, this is kind of like the making of a leader, we have to be willing to fight for our people. Loyalty is one of the number one criterias for a leader. If people, if we're following a boss that we feel like isn't invested in us, doesn't care in, about us, we're not going to be invested in following them or working hard for them. If we have parents that we feel like are on it for their own good or just looking out for themselves and as children, we feel insecure. As a leader, we have to be willing to fight for our people, be loyal to them. And so the first thing we see about Joshua is that he's willing to die for his people. He will go first. He will fight. And he does it based on faith. Like, do we have that level of commitment? Are we willing to fight for what we believe in? Like, this is our church family, so this is our Israel. Would we fight for our church family? When things are hard, will we fight for it? When we see things that are like, oh, we really need to step up and fix that, will we fight for it? When we see others coming against us, because anytime people do something for God, there's opposition. There's things that go wrong. There's people that don't want to see it succeed. Will we fight for it at that moment? Or will we be passive? Well, Joshua showed that he was loyal, that he was willing to risk his life, that he was willing to lead others. So that's what he brought to the table. But it's not just about Joshua. All the people followed. The people were willing. The people were together. There's a unity there. It wasn't just Joshua fighting. It was him and the people around him fought. Moses saw that leadership in him and delegated. So Moses had a role to play. Otherwise, Joshua would never have been there. What role did God have to play? Well, God gave the victory. <laughs> 
If the hands weren't up and the prayers weren't happening, the war was being lost. And that is still true in our lives. If you are not praying your way through your battles, you're trying to fight them on your own. And when we get tired, we need people to lift up our hands. Do so you see how so many people played a role in this? But Joshua knew what his was, and he wasn't afraid. That's the number one key for a leader. And if we're not there yet, if we're not willing to stand side by side, to take a hit for someone else, to, to sacrifice ourselves for someone, then we're not quite ready to be the leader that God wants to develop us into. We're becoming that. But just recognize what that meant for Joshua. And Moses saw that. and saw his willingness and saw what God did with it and said, ah, this is a leader that God is developing. Um, the second one we're going to look at goes straight to Moses and uh, talks about having a godly mentor. So in Exodus 24, verse 13, I want you to look with me with different eyes at the story of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. We always think that Moses was alone up there. He went and God told him the law. Guess what? There was one other person with him. Guess who it was? Joshua received the Ten Commandments from the Lord with Moses. How about that? We're going to see in two passages talking about him going up further than everyone and then coming down the mountain. Joshua's there. Joshua didn't just follow Moses' instruction. He was with Moses. And he saw the things that God did and said with Moses. And so therefore, when it was time for him to take over, he had the confidence that God was with Moses. It wasn't just some guy that he was leading. We need mentors like that who will invite us to be with them as they pursue God. We need to be that way and invite people to pray with us and to seek out God's with a, God with us and to, to do things for God together. Otherwise, we'll just be left at some point being like, well, how does this work? We need to see it before we do it. So in Exodus 24, really quickly, just see Joshua's role in the receiving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 24, 13 says, Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. So he was at his hip. He was tied at the hip. He was Moses' right-hand man, his assistant, young Joshua, right? Young Joshua. Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait for us until we return to you. So the leaders, you stay here. But guess what? Joshua, you come with me. And behold, Aaron and Hur are here with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, God called out to Moses in the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights receiving the word from God. Uh, flip to chapter 32. This is him coming down the mountain. Exodus 32 verse 15. It's kind of the, the bookends of this story. So that Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the work of God, engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting of victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the golden calf that they had made, if we're familiar with the story, and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned hot. Then he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made, and he burned it with fire, and he ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and he made the people of Israel drink it. Exodus 33, 11, and this is the last one in this little 
part of our, our conversation. Exodus 33, 11. In this way, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, like leaving the tent of meeting, that holy place where God was meeting with Moses, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So in all these moments where Moses is fearing, feeling God and seeing him do these things, Joshua's right there witnessing it. God is speaking to Moses and Joshua is overhearing. When Moses goes into the tent of meeting, Joshua goes with him. And it doesn't mention this hardly ever. It's these little moments, but you realize, wow, every one of those miraculous encounters with God, Joshua got to see. This is the reason we need our kids to be with us as we practice our faith and not just hope that they get it on their own. This is the reason we need kids involved in worship upstairs, not just pushed away into a missions kid thing for the entire Sunday morning because they need to participate with us, hear the stories of what God is doing, be a part of it. It's why we love things like Serve Homes, that they can be there in the moment as our little assistants while God is doing something great. And then it can be written down or YouTube videoed in modern parlance, and they can look back on it forever and be like, look at how little I looked at that Serve Home project. I was there. I remember that's the time that God did that thing. And when Moses goes into his, his tent of meeting in place, it says Moses was the only one in there. But we just saw he wasn't the only one in there. His assistant, the one by his side, got the privilege of seeing God face to face, talking to him, hear him speak as he observed Moses. This is the mentoring that Joshua needed if he was ever going to become the Joshua that we know. This is what we need. We need people to disciple us. We need people to let us pray with them. People who have prayed for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and know what it feels like to go into the tent of meeting. If we don't have that, we, we have to figure it all out for ourselves. We're going to have to recreate the wheel with the Lord every generation. It doesn't need to be that way. But we need to say, what's my time with the Lord? Who can I invite to pray with me? Let's just be with God. So in these moments, it isn't functional interaction. It's spiritual presence of God encounters. That's the kind of mentoring that Joshua was blessed to have. That's who he was with Moses. And you see, Mo Joshua committed to that. How much time do you think Joshua logged with Moses? Was it every minute of every day? I don't know. If we want to have a mentor, how much time are we logging together? This convicted me this week because the person who I'd say most closely identifies in my life as my mentor would be Richard Griffin up in New Hampshire. Like, I talk to him, but not regularly enough, probably. I've learned a lot from him, but he's walked with the Lord so much. What more could I learn from him? I need to invest in that if I want to benefit from that relationship. Books that we read, those become our mentors, right? Read something from Francis Chan, and then we start quoting Francis Chan. He mentored us. We stood next to him as he said those words, and we learned from him. So our responsibility is to pick the right mentor. Don't pick a celebrity. Not a good mentor. Don't pick someone from the world who's just become successful financially. Looks like they've got it all together and then you realize their home life is falling apart. Because that's what you'll end up becoming as well if you follow them. Choose wisely who your mentors are and know who they are. And invest in them hours and hours and hours of just being together. Because then when it's time for you to step up and take responsibility yourself for the things that God calls you into, you'll be prepared. Mentorship is preparation. It's support. It's love. Pick the right one. It's got to be a God thing to let God lead you into the right one. God has a role in this mentorship. We see here is every time God's doing something amazing, Moses is just like, hey, Joshua, 
You have to be with me. You have to see this. So Moses' role, picking Joshua. You remember Moses even renamed him? You don't need to flip there, but in Numbers 13, uh, 16, it says, And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses saw his potential, saw his identity, said, This is who you are meant to be. God will save his people through you. And so that's what a mentor gets to do. It's like a parent, right? A spiritual parent. You get to be like, I see this in you. You've got this teaching gift. You've got this compassion gift. You've got this hospitality. You've got this way with people. You've got this way with children. Oh, man, I can see it. You need to pursue that. It's how God's made you. Moses could do that for Joshua to help him become the Joshua that we know he ultimately became. All right, the third one. Each one of these could be a, you know, a whole mini-series in and of itself, but as we're trying to get to Joshua's life, I just want to paint the picture of what it took for him to become. So we're in Numbers 11, chapter 20, uh, verse 24. This is about spiritual gifts. This is about how God works and about us being humble and about us being zealous. I told you the third thing is being zealous for the Lord. We need to be zealous for authenticity. When we see people, say like stereotype, but you see a television preacher and they're like, God wants you to give me more money. I hope that makes you mad. I hope it does. I hope it grates against you. And when you see people in social circles with pivotal issues and things saying, I'm a Christian and blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, that's not me. Don't lump me in with them. Don't put that on my Jesus. You feel that, right? Even within the church, you hear someone and well-meaning, like takes a part of the Bible and is like, just distorts and does it the wrong way. You're like, well, can we grab coffee? The way I see that verse is this, where we try to like care about the reality, the authenticity of our faith. This is like linked into holiness. It's linked into righteousness. We want to be done the right way as much as we can. We need God's help with that. So Joshua has this experience where God moves, but it's not in the way that was like prescribed. And so he gets defensive. That's not what Moses said. Like, this, we're doing these things the right way. And Moses has the humility to be like, actually, I had my plan. God's doing something even better. Let it be. And so Joshua gets to learn submission, but, but he's zealous for the right. He's zealous for the good. Too often we just let it go. We let ourselves off the hook. Well, that wasn't the best, but okay. And yeah, you know, that person's that, but it's not that bad. And yeah, well, that sermon wasn't really accurate, but you know, it was a good story, and I like the way the preacher de delivered it. Like, we, we let all sorts of things go instead of saying, well, I don't think so. I don't want that. I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. And as we fight for that, we grow. We're just letting everything go. We're growing. So in Numbers 11, this is the story. So what we can gain from Joshua. It says, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. So again, God speaking, Moses is relaying. He gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent of the Lord. And then God came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him. This is the Holy Spirit, which we all have now because of Jesus. Back then it was just on Moses and then gets shared took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the Holy Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They started speaking for the Lord, started speaking the words together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and went out into the camp and just started talking. These are the words of God. It's like each person opened their mouth and the oracles of God just came out. Now, these two dudes, there were two men who remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Maydad. And the Spirit rested on them. They didn't come to the tent. They were back at home. They were in the camp. They're not part of the 70. They were among those registered, but they had not gone to the tent. And so they started prophesying right where they were, in the camp. 
Now a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, from his youth, little Joshua, before he was the Joshua, and from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Holy Spirit on all of them. And so Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So Joshua was right for wanting it to be done the right way. But Moses is more experienced and he's wiser. This is the moment not to be right. This is the moment to recognize God's doing something different than we expected. It's not wrong. It's different than what we expected. And actually, these two guys were supposed to go to the tent. So they're either lazy or they're procrastinators or they got up late or they were afraid. And God said, I don't care if you made it to the party. I've picked you to have my spirit. So guess what? You're going to start prophesying right where you are. So God was just doing his thing. Moses did his thing. And Joshua cared. Do you care? that we base our faith on the Bible and that we're trying our best to get it right. We have to care about that. We're not a social club. We're not the Knights of Columbus. We're not any different. We're, we're Bible people. We're Jesus people. We're Holy Spirit people. So I want us to care. And Joshua had this zealous nature. Uh, he wanted it to be authentic. And that's what I want. And that means we're going to have to shift gears because we don't know it all. So when we get a little bit too far ahead and then God's like, actually, it works this way. Let's be humble. We see wonderful humility in Moses. You see Joshua doing his part, but also being submissive, learning. Like, oh, okay, great. Different way. That's what we get from mentorship. That's what we get from a zealous spirit. Two more. This is where Joshua, when we read this last week, we were talking about Joshua entering into the promised land, and, and um, we talked about not being afraid, having our confidence in the Lord, not being results, but in taking, the way I said it, a million consecutive obedient steps. Sunday sermon last week was about confidence. We can be confident even when there's giants in front of us. We can be confident even when we don't have all the answers. We can be confident even if we don't get to the finish line because it's not about results. God does results. Our job is to take one obedient step and then another obedient step. Even when they don't make sense, take another obedient step. And, and a million consecutive obedient steps is a life worth lived. That was last week. So we don't need to read all of Numbers 14 again, but just to recognize that what's happening as Joshua spies out the land is he's getting getting a taste for what might be. He's getting a taste for the future. So Numbers 14, 5 um, says, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were among those who had spied out the land. Now they tore their clothes because they're coming back and everybody's complaining. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's not going to work. So Joshua and Caleb um, tore their clothes and they said to all the congregation of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out, it's exceedingly good land. Um, if the Lord delights in us, here's the God part, it's not all just our strength. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. They are bread for us. We're going to eat them up. This is God's battle. He's prepared them for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us, so do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them. <laughs> So it didn't happen because God wasn't ready for them to be stoned or to be killed. He still had his plans. But they sent in 12 men to spy out the land. Ten came back and said it's impossible. And two came back and said we caught a vision for what it might be. 
That's what a leader needs. A leader isn't just saying, here's where we are. This is a good, safe place. It's like, where is God calling us? That means to lead. It literally means to walk and to have others walk alongside. And so Joshua here begins to get a taste of it. And some agreed and some didn't. And there was an uprising. And eventually God kind of quashes that and allows them, after 40 years of being punished for their rebellion, to finally enter into that land. And Joshua said, this is what God promised. So that confidence he had in the next step overrode his fear of how hard that step might be. But those who didn't have that intimate relationship with the Lord, who were just hearing Joshua and Moses and Caleb, like, I know what that guy said, but that's too hard. It has to be God speaking to each of us. And that's why within our own journey here at New Hope, we're trying all to be individually seeking after God's will and discernment. Because only with each of us and every one of us having confidence in what God is calling us to do, will we have the faith to step into the victory that he has in store. Because it's his victory and his plan. So we're supposed to be simultaneously seeking after God so that we can take steps confidently. And the people in this case had not... And even some of the people who spied out the land just couldn't get over the fear element. But in Joshua's case, it gave him a taste of what could be, him and Caleb. That's what you will need if you were to be a leader. When you become a leader in a church, in your business, in your family, you are not supposed to just replicate everything that the previous leader did in that ministry, that your previous boss did in that position, that your parents did when they were raising you. A leader's job is not just replication. It's pursuing God, and it's continuing to move forward. Otherwise, it becomes just a dead tradition. Oh, I'm just doing what we've always done, doing what my parents did. At church here, we do what we've always done. In business, this is how businesses die. We're just doing what we've always done, and then the world and the marketplace changes, and there's no leadership to continue to move forward. So if we want to grow into the people like Joshua, become something, we need to catch a vision of something past us, even if it's just one step past us, because that will propel us to be excited you know, if you're looking at a certain promotion and work that you hope you get, it's a vision of where you might be. Or if you're looking to expand your business, and maybe for those guys that are doing construction, you want to get to a point where you're managing others and not doing all the labor yourselves. Like, what does that vision look like? How do we get there? That's leadership. If we're looking at our own faith and saying, I want to be the kind of Christian who, fill in the blank, it won't happen by just being the Christian that has. It's got to be, okay, God, what could and what are you? And then all of a sudden, that's the step-by-step, -step, a million consecutive obedience steps that will take us into that future. And so with Joshua, we see here, he caught a vision for it. And then God used it because it was God's vision. And it was beautiful. And it was wonderful. And ultimately then, our last point, he took full responsibility. This is in Numbers chapter 27. Um, Numbers 27, you think of all the things that happened, all the things he experienced. Eventually Moses is going to die. And it's Joshua's turn to own that leadership individually. True responsibility. And uh, he didn't back down. He just took it. He said, yes, this is the moment. And all those things have been leading up to here. And so now I will accept this. And he was commissioned. And so Numbers 27 is the commissioning story of Joshua. The Lord said to Moses, see, God's guiding everything. That's what we need in our lives, God guiding everything. The Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. So Joshua had the Spirit of God 
in him. Lay your hands on him, Moses. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority, so that the congregation of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. So as a priest, he'll seek God's will for Joshua. At his word, they shall go out the people. And at his word, they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel within the whole congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Took Joshua, made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole congregation, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. Now, I need you to flip a little bit further or listen a little bit longer to Deuteronomy 31, because in the book of Deuteronomy, there's like a looking back on this moment, and it gives even more insight of what happened in that moment. It gives the Lord actually speaking directly to Joshua. And so in the, the writing of Numbers, they didn't include this part of that commissioning service, but I want us to read it. So Numbers, or Deuteronomy chapter 31, the very end of Moses' story, verse 23, Deuteronomy 31, 23. It says, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, not Moses, the Lord commissioned Joshua and said, so he spoke to him these words, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. It's so like in this moment, Moses is laying on the Holy Spirit is blessing and the people are saying, we're seeing what God's doing. And then God speaks directly to Joshua and says, here's my promise. This is where we're going. And Joshua accepted it and then Moses died and then all the people looked to him. In Deuteronomy 34, you need to turn there, there's a little epilogue for Moses. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died, but his eyes were undimmed, his vigor was unabated, and the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the people of Israel obeyed him. And did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants, to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So this is the full transition. Joshua has gone from like little kid to running, leading the entire nation of Israel. And what it took was for him to um, go through our five things here again. Drawing a blank on the first one. Uh, on someone who took, took notes, I can remember the first one. The second one is have a mentor. The first one is fight for your people, right? It took him starting from a little kid saying, I'm willing to fight for what I believe in. And then assisting Moses, being with him, learning what that looks like, and then being zealous for the authenticity in that, that we might be God's people, true and responsible, and then catching a vision for what that future might look like despite the obstacles, and then finally taking responsibility. Like, if we don't ultimately take responsibility, we stay the followers. We stay the kids in the relationship. You ever notice how you go and you hang out with your parents, you're still always the kid? It, like, reverts no matter what your age is? It's because there's this, like identity that has formed of where there's the leader and there's the follower and we know each other so well but at some point those roles either need to reverse or become equalized or separated so that we can take ownership of our families of our own lives this can be a big problem for marriages when the husband and wife don't separate enough from their own parents so there's undue influence you can't just live your life this happens in ministries and programs and things in the church where you're trying to like do things the way this other person wants them done instead of well, what's God saying to me we can't be those sort of people. We have to say, God's prepared us for this moment. This is what he's saying. I'm ready to step out and do. 
This is what the future is of the church. We need to be raised up to be these leaders, all of us. We also need to be looking at the next generation, seeing who are going to be our young assistants. Who are going to be the people that we invite alongside us? Hopefully, parents, you see your children that way. They're just with you in life, and they see your successes, your failures, your, your faith. Um, but there's many people that don't have that. Who can we mentor? Who will we raise up? And so this brings us to our, our questions. If you could put the screen down for me, Andy, and put those questions up. I'm going to have us group. Maybe you guys could be a group. Maybe the middle could be a group. Maybe you. Back corner can be a group. But just talk for a minute with each other before we come to the Lord's table, before we consecrate ourselves and commit. Like, what does this look like? What is the step that you could take now for yourself personally to become the leader? You know, like Joshua took steps. Who are the people in your life? Do we have a mentor? Do you not? Is this something you think you should ask? Talk about it together. You know, is there a role? What does God need to do for you if that's going to happen? You may be putting in a lot of effort, but you need God to do this thing, this healing thing, this teaching thing, this growth thing. It could be any number of things. But I don't want to leave this morning without personally applying this to ourselves. So it'll take five or ten minutes. Let's break out into groups, I guess it may be fives or tens, whatever it may be, and then we'll, we'll close with communion with a song.